We're back on the Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 590. The Fan. We are rapidly approaching that trade deadline. It's sneaking up on us a little bit here. <laughs> it sure is. It's not like when we were at the Raptors and we're counting down every moment. Like, Tomo- hurry up. Tomorrow is our, no, Friday would be our nine days away from our last show pre-deadline. That's right. We don't get a chance on a Friday to talk about the brutal. deadline. It's like the Ry- O'Reilly trade all over again. Our insider brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online. And in the showroom, visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. It's Jeff Merrick, host of the Jeff Merrick Show and co-host of 32 Thoughts, the podcast. How's it going this morning, Jeff? Hey, Alice, good morning. Justin, hello. What's going on today? Um, Ryan O'Reilly's Leaf. You like that last night? I did like it, <laughs> yes. Did you like it? It's pretty interesting. I mean, <laughs> uh, on the anniversary of the death of Tim Horton, uh, legendary, <laughs> legendary uh, hockey player slash uh, donut maven. Um, it, I mean, here's the, the the interesting thing about last night's game is normally when the Maple Leafs go to Buffalo in a midweek game, they kind of get starched. And this is I was mentioning mentioning this to Elliot yesterday. Like this goes back to like the Don Edwards, Bob Sove, you know, era of the of the Buffalo Sabers. That's uh, that city during midweek games or hockey night games for that matter, I guess. Um, has never really been kind. And the uh, the audience, the crowd has always been a, a weird dynamic of, you know, Buffalo Sabres fans that sell, you know, ridiculously juiced up prices for Sabres tickets to Maple Leafs fans uh, when Toronto comes in to help them uh, earn their money back from the season. Um, on their season ticket package, so the uh, the uh, the building is always split, and usually it's the Leafs that go home and take the L. But geez, right away, like a- ending the conversation of where does Orion O'Reilly belong on this lineup—a three C or a two C or a two W—where do you want him? That's pretty impressive against the Buffalo Sabres team that's you know pretty scrappy and hungry to try to make the playoffs here. That was uh, that was very much a thing. And if you believe in hockey gods, that was a that was a game for you with O'Reilly and the hat trick going back to his his old barn. So how do the, how long do the good times last then, Merrick? Uh, obviously, this isn't a question on you know how well they'll do in the postseason. It's a question on whether or not this partnership can last beyond this season. Uh, you know, Kyle Dubas wanted to live together before get married. <laughs> Ryan O'Reilly yeah. looks like he wants to get hitched. What, what's what's your sort of feel on on how this could play out after this season? Well, before before I go to that, I, th- I think a lot of it is wrapped up in 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 family and future and all these types of things. You had his dad Brian on, right? Oh, did we ever? Not, not too Legend. long. Ago, right? Sounded like he wanted his kid to be away for a while. You tell me. You tell me what your gut says. Because he's at a point in his career now where it becomes about more. I mean, he listen. He's won the Stanley Cup. He's won the Conn Smythe. He's won the Selkie. He's won et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, now you're looking at you know legacy type stuff. And what's the one thing we've always said about the Toronto Maple Leafs? You know, go back and look at that 1967 team and how many players from that team make their way to the Hall of Fame. Like when you win in the city of Toronto, it's like Montreal. You win in these big cities, you become legends forever. You know, Neil Smith, you know, the the architect of that Rangers team in uh, 1994, you know, tells me that he'll still walk down the streets in, in New York City and have people coming up to him just to say thank you. Like, you win in these major markets, specifically markets that are in, in Canada, like Toronto and Montreal, like, you become, you, you take on a different type of status. Ask anyone that's ever gone through it. Now, the flip side is... If you don't perform, oof, hmm. it can get real ugly real fast. But uh, uh, Ryan O'Reilly, and you can tell by talking to his dad, Brian, um, he embraces that kind of stuff. He embraces those types of challenges. So 
I would think that if you're Kyle Dubas, and again, a lot of this is predicated on what they do in the first round against Tampa because it might not be Kyle Dubas making this decision if things don't go well. Mm. But I would imagine that Dubas doesn't make a move like this without at least thinking in the back of his mind, what can we do here in the future when we have a little more uh, cap flexibility next season? Some contracts come off the books, you know, and uh, we have some more money to play with. So that question might be answered and hopefully in a positive way for Brian O'Reilly and Bonnie's wonderful wife. Oh, just the mm-hmm. cutest family First ever. Basis just, over here. We, yeah, besties of the show. But um, before that, the trade <laughs> deadline's still around the corner and it might also yeah. depend on what Kyle Dubas adds to this team if he decides to. He seems to be in the all-in move right now. Is there another move coming? Is that a defenseman? Um, and also, what do the Leafs have really to offer trade-wise in their cabinets right now? Yeah, it's a it's a great question. That is the uh, what do they have? Well, I mean, I know Leafs fans don't like to hear this, but if they're going to go big game hunting, then Matthew Nyes has to be on the table. Like, if you want to make a depth move, then sure, you can look at you know various draft picks, and I know they don't have a ton um, this season, next season. Um, even the following season, they're down a couple of picks as well. Um, then you have to now start to touch the roster. Like, we're of the belief, Ellie and I were talking about this on the latest podcast, you know, we're of the belief that Kyle Dubas, when he made the the St. Louis trade, you know, might have actually been looking for three players. Like, Barbashev could have been part of this as well, but that would have meant that Kyle Dubas started to go into his roster more than he was comfortable with. And so it just, you know, remained the, the Ryan O'Reilly, Nolachari deal. I think we all wonder about a depth defenseman. And I, I, I guess, you know, one of the romantic stories that's out there is, you know, do we uh, do we see a return to Toronto of Luke Shen, who was held out last night in that Vancouver game against the Nashville Predators? I think you're probably looking more at something like that. But you're right. Like, he's... This is it. Push the chips to the middle. This is this is all in. This is burn the bridges. There's no going back. This is, you know, the Maple Leafs having to go all in in a really tough division where you're going to face Tampa, Boston looms, etc. Um, I mean, the Eastern Conference is going to be a knife fight to begin with. You look at all the players that have now gone from the West to the East, you know, whether it's, you know, Tarasenko or Bo Horvat. And if you believe all the team of Meyer to New Jersey uh, rumors that are out there, and they may be the team that can offer the most uh, to the San Jose Sharks, uh, maybe team of Meyer finds himself uh, in the Eastern Conference as well. This is going to be tough for just about anybody in the Eastern Conference. This isn't just the Maple Leafs. Um but I, I do think that if you've come this far and you're a Kyle Dubas, you're kind of obliged to go all the way with it, aren't you? Like you're kind of, if, you, if you've gone this deep into going for it this season, how do you pull back and say, well, we still do need to hold back and, and do something for next season? Because don't forget, too, not that this entire playoff run for the Maple Leafs is going to be an audition for Austin Matthews or, you know, trying to impress Austin Matthews. But I think a lot of this is a demonstration to Austin Matthews that this is a team that's going to take their best best swings at things here. Um, you know, we expect, you know, this summer there to be an, an extension for Austin Matthews. I don't think it's going to be, you know, a lengthy one that pleases all Leafs fans. And I don't think it's going to be... You know, I don't. I don't think it's going to be like a, a a one-year deal or anything like that. I think it's going to be somewhere in the middle, which will disappoint other markets. I think they're going to be able to get a hold uh, of Austin Matthews. But I think if you're Dubas, you've come this far. You're going in one because 
Uh, you want your team to win the Stanley Cup, too, because there's an element of self-preservation involved here as well. And three, because you need to demonstrate to Austin Matthews, who's eligible for an extension in the offseason, that this is a team that is willing to do whatever it takes so he can get closer to the Stanley Cup. Uh, it might, might not be the uh, best morning to linger on the Buffalo Sabres, but I, I think it is worth asking about how Kevin Adams uh, has shaped this team and, and and built this team back up to a level of respectability. Uh, maybe a little worried about the Dylan Cousins contract. Maybe a couple other ones look a little bit, uh, at least after one night, a, a little bit precarious, but mm-hmm. uh, he's done a, a pretty good job here, and he's made some really smart gambles, at least he seems, with Tage Thompson. Samuelson looks like he might be in that in that group as well. I do wonder though, what, what should their deadline look like? Like this is an opportunity for a team with loads of cap space to either help facilitate trades or jump on, you know, be, be, be there when someone has to discard a body to make something else happen. Like, what do you think Buffalo should be looking to accomplish here? Understanding that they're still in the playoff mix that loss last night hurts them, but their options are a plenty here for Buffalo. It seems so Kevin Adams work and, and what might lie ahead for him. You know, you're right. They could play banker. They're one of those teams that could play could play banker, could play third team, uh, could be will hold on to a, to contract to, to facilitate a trade, um, and you give us something in the process. Um, so first of all, I want to preface this by saying that it's not as if Kevin Adams hasn't inquired about other players by way of trade. Like he, you know, he had conversations with the Arizona Coyotes earlier this season about Jacob Chikrin. Um, these conversations definitely happen. That was, you know, I'm I'm still very much of the belief that one of the issues with the Buffalo Sabres is they run those young defensemen really hot and they run those defensemen, you know, Rasmus Dahlin is getting, you know, 26 minutes a night. You know, Matias Samuelson is getting 22 minutes a night. Owen Power is getting 24 minutes a night. You know, these guys are all, you know, 22 and, and 20 years old here. Like that's a lot of big minutes against big competition for a lot of young players, you know, they might want to look at bringing in uh, at least one defenseman to spell off some of those minutes, someone a little bit more veteran. Um, They didn't really have the busiest offseason outside of re-signing players. Um, They did bring in Ilya Labushkin, um, and, you know, they did sign Eric Comrie, the netminder, to a two-year contract. But the one thing about Kevin Adams is he has his plan, and he's completely sticking to it. Now, you know, I'm of the belief, and yes, I'm going to go back a century to uh, to draw reference to a, a British economist, someone by the name of Maynard Keynes, who, when he flip flopped on an issue, you know, remarked, "Well, when the situation changes, I change my opinion and I change my mind. What pray tell do you do?" Um, I look at the Buffalo Sabers and I say they're kind of like. Do you guys get the feeling that the Buffalo Sabers are at a spot? that we thought and Kevin Adams thought they'd be at in one, maybe two years from now, they got there early. So if I'm Kevin Adams, I'm thinking, okay, I didn't expect to be here right now, but here we are, and this team deserves something. This team deserves some type of help. I don't know that the Buffalo Sabres do that. Kevin Adams has always maintained all throughout the season, even though he inquired on players like Chikrin, that this is their program, this is their plan. They're not going to deviate. They're not going to give up, you know, draft capital, prospect capital uh, to try to hotshot something here just for one season. They're trying to build something long term. I think you can still do both things and not hurt your future. Um, as far as what he's done with this team, I like the idea, Justin. Like, you identify who your core players are, 
You uh, you bet on them, you gamble on them, and you lock them up for as long as you can because the price only goes up. Like, how quickly did we realize that the Tage Thompson deal is probably a bargain? You know, and you know how 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 whenever you know Rasmus Dahlin signs his contract extension, it'll probably be a bargain too. I know you might have some concerns about the offense um, for Dylan Cousins, but he's already got you know twenty goals, and he's only twenty two years mm-hmm. old, and still more runway on the season. You know, are we going to look at that contract and say it's a bargain? Like you never. Like the the one lesson of the salary cap that I think we've all understood now is you don't get in trouble when you pay your big players. Where the trouble happens is when you significantly overpay for your bottom pairs, your, your bottom pairing defensemen, uh, your bottom six guys. That's where you get in trouble. I don't know that you get in trouble <clears throat> when you identify your core, lock them up for as long as you can, and then surf on that. And it seems as if that's the model that Kevin Adams wants to follow here with the Sabres. You know, he keeps maintaining, we're trying to build this you know, for long-term success, not just the one-shot sneak into the playoffs and you know, get a couple of home dates here. They want this for the long-term. But, man, it's got to be awful tempting when you look at what your team's given you so far this year, Justin, and not, be, and not say to yourself, you know what, these guys deserve something you know, to try to make sure that all of this effort is it doesn't just fall by the wayside and these guys don't have a postseason to participate in. Well, I wondered about Timo Meyer with them. We had Andrew Peters on yesterday. And, it's a great and, question. And, and it's he, a great question. He didn't like the idea. He also didn't like the Chikrin idea. He thought, you know, you're already paying one player too much, that being Jeff Skinner. But I thought if you throw him into the mix, I mean, we were talking about the Blues maybe flipping assets to uh, to get into the Meyer sweepstakes. Like, it Buffalo's at the point now where are they going to be able to add one more impact player through the draft? Maybe not on the timeline that you need it. But if no. Meyer is is entering the system there, then all of a sudden you might have that completive sort of factor, at least uh, with the forward grouping, and you can and really build and really have some expectations next year. Here's why I love that idea by you. And with all due respect to Andrew Peters, um, here's why I love this idea by you is Timo Meyer is, and this is why I like it for New Jersey as well, Timo Meyer is that person you bring in at the end of a rebuild. It's not the person you bring in at the beginning of a rebuild. He's not that type of player, and he's not in that position to be that type of player. He's the one that you bring in and you say, okay, there's our final piece. What do we still need here? We need, we need size and skill on the wing. Like, you look at the New Jersey Devils. Like, they're there. Like, the New Jersey Devils are going to be a playoff team now for a lot of years. But what's the one element of that team that they still don't have? They still don't have a marriage of size and skill on the wing. Now, you can say they might be a little bit, you know, uh, smallish down the middle. We'll see with Jack Hughes and Nico Heischer. Uh, Does that need to be addressed somewhere down the road? Probably not, given the way the game is played. But in the playoffs, you can't just go with smallish, skilled players. We know what happens with those teams. That's why I like the team of my deal for New Jersey and to your point for the Buffalo Sabres as well I would look at Timo Meyer and say even if we don't make it in this season you know he's that final piece of the puzzle that muscle on the wing married with a, a high skill set and a high IQ I I love that idea for the Buffalo Sabres completely love it Patrick Kane robbed from an OT winner with 0.00001 seconds against a team that just opened up a lot Uh, of cap space, has been circled around, maybe being interested. (laughs) Was that the last time that we see Kane in a Chicago Blackhawks jersey at home? Oh, boy. Um, 
if if so, what a way to go! Would have been great <laughs> if that would have been the, uh, the 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 final hurrah. I mean, I think we're warming up more and more to this being, you know, the last the last that we the last few games of seeing him in a Chicago Blackhawks uniform. That would have been fantastic. Um, wow, that would have been such a cool. I know way the to hockey out. gods ripped it from us. Oh, they just stole it. He's cruel, <laughs> cruel and spiteful. Um, you know, it's interesting. I think we talked about this last time. You know, my, my homework assignment from someone close to it was, you know, find out where Patrick Kane's heart is. It was in <laughs> Chicago. It was in New York. They both got ripped out of his uh, out of his chest. And where's his heart now? It It seems as if... You know, what you're seeing is not a frustrated Pat Kane, but an angry Pat Kane. He's heard a lot about his game. He's heard a lot about his team. He's heard a lot about how he's not wanted on the voyage there anymore. He's heard a lot about his hip, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And he's kind of gone, I don't know, he's kind of gone RoboCop here. And just like, I'm just just going savage. And I'm going to remind everybody just about how great I am and how great I can be. And let's not forget here, like Patrick Kane still controls controls it. If Patrick Kane, you know, wants to to finish up this season as a member of the Chicago Blackhawks and, you know, not not go out with a hockey DB that says, you know, 26 games with, you know, Team X uh, mm-hmm. at the end of this season, he can. Um, but the, the one thing that I think is admirable from Patrick Kane's point of view, as much as he may have thought, and I really do think this, that he was going to remain a Chicago Blackhawk his entire career and, you know, destroy Stan Makita records and rewrite the, the, the record book for the Chicago Blackhawks and his name would be splashed on the top of every single list and he'll go down as the, the greatest Blackhawk of all time, etc. And he still might. Um, I, I think that he understands that this is a team that's stuck with him through some very challenging times early on, Ailish. Like, there were plenty of times when the Chicago Blackhawks, you know, internally probably had the maybe we should just get rid of Kane conversation. Is it worth the headache? This guy can't stay out of hot water. And they always stuck with him. And I think that for that reason, Kane understands the idea of doing this organization as much of a solid as he can. And even if that means he only gets traded for a second round pick or whatever the, the, the compensation may be, I think Kane, as long as it's a market that he wants to go to, I think he's, he's amenable to all of it. But I, I think we're right now seeing a Patrick Kane that wants to demonstrate to whichever suitors are out there. And we wonder about Edmonton and Vegas and Dallas front and center. You know, I think he wants to remind everybody that there's still a lot of game left in here in Pat Kane and there's still highlights because it's one thing to be good and then it's another thing to be Pat Kane. And the thing we haven't seen out of Patrick Kane this year so far until recently is Patrick Kane. You know, the hat trick against the Leafs, the five goals in two games, the, you know, slap shot on near buzzer beater last night. Um, I think he's just sort of reminding everybody at, you know, despite the fact that he's playing with a, an undernourished Blackhawks team right now, there's still the potential for an elite level player to be uncovered. He's got one last game. I believe it's next Thursday, but it's less than 24 hours before the trade deadline at home. We'll see if he uh, puts on that jersey at home in front of that crowd one more time. But uh, doesn't it feels like a coin flip at times, right? So I don't really know. Um, that's where you come I, I, in. It, it, <laughs> it, it might be kind of a Claude Giroux situation, although there was a number involved there too. But it might just be like, I want my last hurrah. Yeah. I want my last thank you. I want my last lap. And even though you might want to, you know, bubble wrap him or, you know, nerf the rink around him, I think that... <laughs> 
essentially Patrick Kane is going to decide what happens here with him. He's going to do the organization a solid, and he expects the same from Kyle Davidson and the rest of the Hawks. All right. Well, stay tuned. We'll get you on next Wednesday. Hopefully we'll have um, some more stuff to break down. And appreciate it, Jeff. Have a great day today. Hopefully there's still some players remaining here. <laughs> yeah, we'll see it. <laughs> right? You know who's still oh, available? Chick Ren. So, God. Well, I know. We'll be no, that'll be, that'll be next trade deadline. Oh, okay, I can't so now do Arizona it. has to make this deal. Oh, can't no, do it. You know it could happen. I could. You know it could happen. Honestly, anything could happen. Uh, we'll talk to you soon, Jeff. Thanks so much. A-list Justin, thanks as always. Jeff Merrick, host of The Jeff Merrick Show, host of 32 Thoughts, The Podcast, and our insider brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online. And in the showroom, visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. If they punt Jacob Chikrin to next year, I mean, there's nothing I can do about it, but it's just getting ridiculous. Like, you know, we talked about with Masai Mm -hmm. and how OG's value might not be the same. How could Jacob Chikrin's value not diminish over (laughs) another year? We're doing this forever. (laughs) The value of Chikrin is he going to get paid that much. I don't get you it. you got to trade him this year. I don't get it. We didn't bring this up with Jeff. Um, so maybe I'll just bring it up now and something that you on. Brought to you by Great Canadian Meats. Sure. Yum, yum, yum. Reportedly, the St. Louis Blues, who have now traded some of their significant players away in the last little stretch, mm-hmm. are interested in Timo Meyer. Mm-hmm. Interested in getting in on the Timo Meyer sweepstakes. Um, this came out yesterday. I don't, I get it a bit because traditionally Kevin, uh, not Kevin Adams, Dougie Armstrong. Dougie Armstrong is a pretty aggressive guy. But as Jeff Merrick just said, it's about timelines is in the blues is Timo Meyer part of the time. I'm just, I just think it was a bit surprising to find this out yesterday. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I guess they can make the decision whether to want to do a full scorched rebuild type of thing. I mean, they got some talent there with Jordan Cairo, Robert Thomas. Yeah, there's some, there's still some good players there. And if you added Meyer to the mix, yeah, they would be competing for a playoff spot. Dougie Armstrong, I'll give him credit. He does, like He's one of the guys who doesn't make excuses. There are so many general managers around the NHL that just make excuses. They're like, oh, we don't have any cap space. We just mm-hmm. we can't do it. Like, I love that he's not an excuse guy. But I feel like the best thing for the Blues is to take a little bit of a step back. Yes, that, and that's what I thought we all were and I thought they're expecting doing as well. I mean, if you give away Alex Petrangelo, Ryan O'Reilly, Vladimir Tarasenko, from a Stanley Cup champion <laughs> of only four guys. years ago, like one Timo Meyer doesn't equate to those, those no, players. No, definitely not. And they've had to pay guys a little bit too much, maybe across the board, trying to keep it all together. Uh, I think they're in a transition period, and they should probably stay in that transition period. But... Uh, it's interesting. I love it. It's more general managers need to act like Doug Armstrong because he makes things happen. He he keeps things very, very interesting. I did want to play one other thing about Patrick Kane. It's just a double chew. We're hungry this morning. Okay. I was... Yum, yum, yum. <laughs> yeah, yum, yum, yum. I don't know if everybody got the chance to see the, the, the last second OT winner that was taken back, which would have been really nice for our like narrative he, he that we set up had, yesterday. It was he would incredible. have to demand a trade no, after. Ha- that's it. Because if that was the final act at United Center, it was perfect. It was absolutely stunning. And then it's called back. They end up winning in a shootout, but really took away an incredible moment. Mm-hmm. But Kyle Davidson was on the Blackhawks pregame show, which was kind of surprising to me, and was asked about the situation with Patrick Kane and this is what he had to say. We have had conversations over the last little while and stayed in pretty constant 
uh, contact with both Pat and Patrick. Um, we haven't gotten to the point that we're talking teams or anything that specific, and uh, I think we're still getting to the point where we want to figure out, you know, what the decision is for for the deadline, whether he wants to explore something new or, or stick around. So we haven't gotten down to specifics. We're just not there yet. What do you think is going to happen? I don't know. Maybe Kyle's kind of to blame a little bit here. Like we were talking about, like, Patrick, we're like, Kane Patrick Kane, too much why, time? why are you upset about the New York Rangers? Why are you upset maybe about the Toronto Maple Leafs? You haven't had the conversations yet. It's time to start talking teams. Do you want this or not? I mean, there's only nine days before the deadline. That's where I'm getting, that's why I brought this and, up. And it's kind of shocking. Butts are in seats. There is a butt in the seat with New York. There's a butt in the seat with Toronto. If you want to find a new seat, and maybe this is Patrick Kane's plan. If I delay, 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 I can just be like, uh, there's nothing out there for me. Uh, I appreciate everything. We'll, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll uh, say sayonara this summer and I won't get you anything in back in return. Like that's possible that that's kind of what Kane is angling for mm-hmm. here. But if you're Kyle Davidson, you got to be like, okay, where do you like, I'll present you this case. I'll present you this case. I'll present you this opportunity. Uh, I, I feel like he's got to be a little bit more aggressive because it is kind of important that they get something back for Patrick. Kane. I would think yes, <laughs> because I don't know. Maybe maybe they can keep him around again next year. I don't really know how this is going to go. I don't know if Patrick Kane actually wants to leave. But if you have no intention of signing him this offseason, if you're Kyle Davidson, which is a questionable look as well, you got you to gotta be more aggressive here. So they just start a road trip now where they play the Stars, the Sharks, the Ducks, the Coyotes, all before returning home the night before the trade deadline on Thursday, March 2nd. So he's got one, two, three, four games here. Maybe something happens on this road trip where he's like, yep, I believe it. I love it. I love wearing this jersey. Or they play the Sharks, the Ducks, the Coyotes, and the Stars, and he's like, I'm done. The Stars might be the one. That's tonight on a back-to-back. Can you see yourself here, Patrick? Again, Kyle's not having that conversation Him and Robertson. Today. There you go. There you go. Um, all right, we're going to take a break on the other side. We're going to do a little What's Up Wednesday. Producer Daniele. The return of What's yeah, Up it's Wednesday. it's been a little while. It's perfect. There's not much going on. We got What's Up Wednesday, run through a couple questions here, including uh, our ideal Blue Jays batting order because mm. it's spring training time, baby. Let's go. All right, on the other side of the break, it's What's Up Wednesday. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL, the J.D. Bunkins Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we're back on the Fan and Morning Show. Sports on 590 The Fan. A couple other things from the NHL last night that didn't get to touch on. Dreisaitl and McDavid both hit a historic milestone on the same play. Dreisaitl with his 700th point and McDavid with his 800th point. Mm-hmm. With the same play. Right. Who gets the puck? 800 and 700. The goal scorer was Dreisaitl. I mean, both of them are just round numbers. It's not like, you know, Hall of Famer Connor McDavid once hit 800 points. No, right? It's on the path to 1,000. Maybe that just stays in the dressing room. Come on. How many pucks do these guys need? Well, McDavid's the fifth fastest player in NHL history to reach 800 points, and Dreisaitl's the fifth active player to hit the 700th point mark. Really? Only the fifth active player? That's what the chart says. Interesting. Uh, 
I think you give the I'm puck o- to Dreisaitl. I'm okay with the split. But cut, cut, cut that baby in cut half. Cut the puck in half. And it's like the the broken heart. That's actually really cute. The boys and their best friends, they can get together and put the puck together and have a cute <laughs> little moment. <laughs> you don't like that idea? Hey, come over, bring the puck. We'll put when it together. To, when they go to Turks and Caicos with they their the girlfriends puck. next year, they bring the puck, sit on the beach and take a photo. That's really sweet, Justin. Wow. Listen, I'm a... Stunning. I don't know what I am. <laughs> You're a romantic. I don't know what I am. Well, I don't know. I think I think Drysdale should get the puck because I mean, eight hundred is more than seven hundred. Yeah, but he put the puck in the net. But I guess McDavid gave. I don't know. I guess it, it depends on who cares about it. Like, does McDavid have every every uh, every time he hits a hundred? I bet he does. Two hundred, three hundred. He's got the he Brooks Kepka wall of fame. Yeah. In but that house keep, of his that is black some and white. Shelves open for the a thousand point puck. A mm. thousand point, he gets it. 800, 700 is like, eh. So you just toss it back into the crowd. Saw it in half. You just keep playing with I'm it. I'm always, I always, I'm like kind of fascinated by how they like, they get the pucks after. Because you don't know on the path to like, let's say, let's say McDavid scored five goals in the game. The first one, no one's reacting. No one cares about that, that puck. You put it back in play. Maybe it goes over the glass. And the next whistle. Mm. And what do they do? How do they get that puck? Do they make it up? You don't think they know? I'm just saying, if McDavid scores a goal, two shifts into a game, ends up scoring four in the third period to make it a five-goal game, and they want to do the photo with five pucks, the first puck, they're making it up. Yeah, I get that. They didn't recover the first puck. I understand. So just give them another one and say it was. All right. From the game. From the game, he scored 800 points. Carl in Mount Forest says cut it in half. I like the cut in half. Somebody else says throw the puck in the garbage. Who cares? That too. It's really not a big deal. One other thing from last night. Fun night in the NHL. The Anaheim Ducks are now... Are not fun. A minus 101 goal differential. I didn't even think that was possible. Gosh. 101. We might have to look historically at like the worst that could, here. Honestly. See if I can find it quick. We need sports that is... stats, the robots, to just let me know. <laughs> Because minus 101 goal differential is actually stunning. It's actually impressive. Like, congrats. And they were You're like terrible. they were supposed to be bad. But at the start of last year, they were, like, respectable. And then they started trading everyone. Like, Hampus Lindholm went out the door, and they were trying to pad Verbeek is taking his time. And if you're a new GM, take all the time in the world. That's how you lengthen your general managerial career is you take slow steps down and the then answer. build it back up. What is it? The worst ever NHL goal differential was in ni- 1974 to 1975 season. The Washington Let me guess. Capitals. Let me guess. 320. 265, the Washington Capitals. Really? Followed by the Ottawa Senators in 9394. 196, tied with the San Jose Sharks, also 196 and 92-93. Wow, 92-93 was a is terrible any, year. Is there any year 2000 and beyond, like on that the, list? Okay, let me give you the first one in the 2000s is, wow, you got to scroll down to the Detroit Red Wings, 123. Red Wings? When? 1920. No, 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 no. 2000s and above. In 2019. Oh, 2019. Yes, in 2019, oh, 2020. 1920, the year 1920. Yeah, 1920. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Tough year for that they original six franchise. back in 1920. <laughs> well, they probably did. There was like one team playing. Got a half day. Minus 123 in 2019-2020. So Anaheim could get there. They could have the worst of the last quarter century or so. And or so. the only other one in the 2020 or 2010. 2000s. In the 2000s. 
is Buffalo Sabres 2014-2015 at minus 116. So they they might climb onto this list. They should get there. And they're in a dogfight to be the worst, too. Like Chicago won last night, right? They got they yeah, won a shootout, shootout despite the... And Columbus is still right there with Anaheim. Anaheim's going to have to continue to lose. Let's keep that in mind. Let's keep this in mind. Wake and rakes, trying to fade Anaheim as much as possible. Puck lines. Anaheim wants to be bad, and they, they're getting close to historically bad. All right. Let's do What's Up Wednesday. Start with question number one. The XFL is back. Didn't think we'd lead XFL, to be honest. I want to get into the XFL. Do you? I have never once You said it yesterday like... One moment about the XFL, but... You're almost like asking for validation. It's like, are we doing XFL? And I'm like, I'm not doing XFL. Well, just, just hold you on. You want to do XFL. Hold your horses for this. The league officially relaunched this past weekend. Dwayne The Rock Johnson, friend of oh, myself. That might be the key right Part there. of league's ownership. Got to support your friends. Historically, they're known for experimenting and have some unique and unconventional rules. With this latest relaunch, they have eliminated extra point kicks. Instead, when a team scores a touchdown, they have to go. They have the option to go for one point from the two-yard line, two mm-hmm. points from the five-yard line, or three points from the 10-yard line. This weekend, viral moment where these rules were in, implied, implicated. Viral. It was, yeah, oh, it was, it was viral. It was okay. all over the internet. And it kind of got us talking about, are you a fan of this rule? Would it ever make its way to the NFL? I'll let you lead because you seem to like it. It will never make its way to the NFL. It is too gimmicky. Do you want it to, though? No. I think it's fun. And the XFL is about fun, is about experimental ideas. The XFL is about fun. It is. Is it not? <laughs> I, don't, is it, I don't know it's what the about XFL cultivating is. I don't talent. know what the XFL is about, It's honestly. not like the AHL where there's a pipeline. Okay. I thought it was really cool. I watched this video. I thought it was really fun. The idea that you have some options and you can be strategic and do something outside the box is fun. You want to get different fans in the sport? Maybe this is a reason why. Having the option to go for one, two, or three points, it adds the intrigue. It's fun. (laughs) I wonder, though, how you handicap betting with this. Because you can't have like a... It kind of opens the door for some weird stuff. You can do whatever stuff, you want doesn't it? at this point. It kind point. of opens the door for some weird stuff. What's the spread? The spread right? is two. Right, the spread is different We're now. We're up by one. Or, and that's actually not a good good example because then the game would be tied. But if there's like a weird thing, yes. it's like, hey, we only have to go for, we don't even have to go for one or two or three. We could just, we win the game, but we'll go for three to try and cover a spread. That's kind of weird. Anyway, I like, I don't know if this is a weird take, but I kind of like I think one of the best things about football is that the score and the scoring lends itself to interesting outcomes, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Like the, okay, you're down by three or you're down by four and you need this to do that. And I think if you have too much of this gimmicky stuff, as you put it, like you're just going to get weird scores that don't give you the, what you actually want out of this, which is the opportunity for exciting things to happen. I think it kind of yes. like, I think it kind of skews it. And it, no, I think it's weird. <laughs> I think if you're down by, if you're down by nine, yeah, I guess you have a chance and it gives some intrigue to a final moment of a game or whatever. If you're down by nine and you need a three score extra point system, whatever. I just don't want to see that in the NFL. The NFL, you're right. If you, XFL is about fun. Okay, well, there's no if way the you'll ever have an fun, NFL. The NFL is about real sport and we shouldn't be doing nine point No, and drives. I agree. You brought this point up the other day about how they might change the, the what is it, the quarterback sneak at the goal line? Yeah, the Jalen Hurts sneak. So they're finding ways to less edit fun. rules and make it less fun. 
Well, I don't think they should get rid of that. What we don't need is Jalen Hurts being able to, you know, we can get three points if I do this over and over no, and over that's again. that's not going to happen. Do you, how realistic do you think it is that they'll change that rule? NFL. I think if they if there's good reporting behind it, I think there's probably a good chance. But I think it's probably going to happen. Do you think people like that? Anyone who's not a Philly fan might like it. If you're an Eagles fan, you're probably annoyed. No, by to be, they would have won the Super Bowl. They did it like 12 times. <laughs> it's boring, but... That's the rules of the rules. Sometimes boring is okay. Like, we don't need... You're boring. You don't need to be down by nine with a chance to win. You lost the game if you're down by nine. Got it. Justin hates fun. Next. By the way, there's no way that dry saddles the fifth you, active you also, player you should point. You should mention... <laughs> why? Well, it's the text line is yeah, lit that, up. That, that I just kinda... read the stat. It's obviously incorrect. So we got to figure out what the answer is. Before I will get it for you now. My you can credibility go to the next one. is questioned. There, yeah, there are obviously um, there it's are incorrect. Many, many players with seven hundred points. That's what it's. You want to know? You want to yeah, know how yeah, many there let, are? Let's correct it. Move on. There are thirty-one players. Yeah, that's shocking. Points. I don't know. Maybe it was sis. I don't know. It says on here. We can move on. Um, okay, spring training this is a good one. We're excited. Full swing down in Dunedin. We've been obviously teeing up the Blue Jays the last couple of days. Caitlin McGrath yesterday. The vibes in Dunedin seem immaculate. The guys are showing up. Different hair, different facial hair, bleach blonde, etc. The Blue Jays have obviously made a very concerted effort to add lefties to their batting lineup. Mm-hmm. Now, let's preface this with there are a lot of factors that go into deciding what your batting order will be like, including who's catching, including who's pitching, including where you are in the game, in the lineup, in the season. Remove all of those factors when you answer this question. Let's not take it too seriously. What would you be your Blue Jays <laughs> batting order? Not like the stats that we have, right or wrong. No, no, God, no. Because, yes, it de- depends on if you have a left-handed pitcher, right-handed pitcher who's healthy who's 100 percent opening day like if you could decide what side the opposing pitcher is throwing from mm-hmm. i don't really like who cares this is just the best possible lineup they can put together this is what That's you what want to do this is what you want um to see. it's interesting you said like okay concerted effort to get more lefties it's not exactly a left-handed hitting bonanza still there's three of them there's three so you can you can have a acceptable sort of lineup for a righty. You can be ready for those moments, of course, but it's not a bonanza, and some of your worst hitters are the left-handed hitters, right? So if you're looking at the opening day lineup, maybe you'd prefer there's a lefty on the mound just because the strength of this team probably still right-handed hitting. So for that reason, mine's put together like there's probably a left-handed on the mound. Good context. Thank you. Okay. George Springer, he's your leadoff guy. No doubt about it. Do we agree? We should go yes. slot George for slot. Yes, George Springer, for me, leadoff guy, until there's a chance where he needs some time to recover from maybe a little, I don't want to say the injury word, but there might be a time this season where George Springer doesn't play, and that's gonna, okay. There are going to be many days where he doesn't this play. This is a perfect starting, everyone's healthy and happy. Who's your next? This is, where, this is already where it gets no, fun. No, I mean, just whatever. Bo I'm, a Vlad, I'm a Vlad guy here. Bo Bichette next. Okay. And I just want to also say that this has already become a conversation down south at Dunedin, which is exciting because they have an opportunity to maybe do something different. Bobochet for me is next. Uh, so then you have Vlad third? No? I do have Vlad third, but okay. I could also see putting a left-handed hitter there, 
but I'm going to just go Springer, Bo, Vlad to start. And we can discuss this because this is now going to be uh, ideally, the top three yes, is but like you're not, you're not getting, I mean, Brandon Belt's not hitting higher than fourth. No. He's not. And none of the other ones are. And I, and I didn't say that either. I'm I just, got Springer, uh, Bo, Vlad. Yes, but like you were talking about, you'd want maybe a lefty there, but yes. they don't have that guy. That's kind of the point I had. Like it's not the bonanza, but it's also not, hey, you're rushing to get that power lefty bat high in the lineup and mm-hmm. just disrupt the top three. The top three of the top three, no matter who's on the mound of the opposition, right? So why do you have Vlad too? I don't know. I, I like. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. People, people debate this like so much. Vlad, I, I think Vlad's the better hitter. I would like him to be up there more. If you're second, you're going to get more at-bats. That's really the extent of my analysis. I Honestly. Okay. People, like, debate this to the, like, to the, to the death. Hills they will die on. I'm just like, whatever they like, does Vlad like batting second? Does Bo? Do they both like batting second? Maybe you have a decision there. But to me, it just feels like I want a little bit more of Vlad. So give me a little bit more of Vlad. If you're not following Chris Black, who is one of our Sportsnet talents, producer, content creator, etc., he put an amazing thread up yesterday. Go take a look at his Twitter account at Down to Black, where he's we're basically having this conversation here about where Bo and Vlad should go in the lineup. Okay, I'm just going to read a little bit from this. Vladimir Guerrero Jr.'s career production hitting second, a seven eight seven eighty nine OPS. 66 RBIs in 130 games, hitting third, obviously bigger sample size, and 921 OPS, Hmm? 185 RBIs in 265 games. I understand that Vlad is a better hitter, but I want Bo on base because he's faster and he he gets on base, he can score, and he's ready for the big bats coming up in the lineup. He also has mentioned that he publicly wants to be more aggressive on the bases this year. Look at that. You've already convinced me. I don't think it's the end of the world if it's Vlad, then Bo. But personally, I like Springer, Bo, Vlad, just to kick things off. There's, okay. This, this thread is actually, it's really immaculate. You and Chris convinced me. The, there's lots more. It's a thread. But I'm not going to read them all. But just that statistic alone, I think it's important. But in context, wherever they're happy and comfortable. Oh, there's counterpoints on the thread as well? Or you just cherry pick your stat? No, well, no, that's, that's a real stat, is it not? It's a real stat, yeah. yeah. But were there were there counterpoints within the thread? Where it's like, oh, this is why maybe Vlad is best second. Sure, there were. I don't have it summarized like. Sparks okay, I'm just notes. asking. I'm just asking. I thought it was maybe an argument. The point of the thread was an argument for, hey, this is where Bo should be, rather than he presents here are both all the sides facts. of the argument. Okay, I'm that's, sure that is what I was asking. Yes. Okay, so those three, I'm willing to concede, Bo number two. How about that? No problem. Four is it Kirk? No. Is it Belt when there's a right-handed? Pitcher on the mound? What do you got? Who's fourth? I have a left-handed hitter, and I have Varsho there. Really? Okay, yep. you're getting aggressive. Uh, in the cleanup spot, I want to get a lefty in there. I want to be able to... You don't think that's too much for Dalton Varsho? No. Okay, you put Brandon Belt. Regardless, it's going to be a left-handed hitter for me there in the cleanup spot. I think when Brandon Belt is in the lineup, he will be hitting above Dalton okay. Varsho. But you have Kurt And this there. is why I said it's like it's the first five, four for me, rather, are right-handed. Problems still exist or persist unless you're, you know, gaming your lineup for the opposing pitcher, which they will do, of course. Mm-hmm. And I think Brandon Belt will be hitting up high in the lineup in those moments. But I have Kirk actually both sides as my number four. Okay. Kirk's next for me, followed by Chapman, yep, Belt slash Varsho, Merrifield, and Kiermeyer. 
Okay, mine Springer, Vlad, Bo, Kirk, Chapman, Varsho, Jansen, Espinal, Kiermaier. Maryfield and Espinal are, I guess, interchangeable. Okay. Well, I think this is going to be a really interesting storyline, maybe one that we didn't give much thought to before spring training began because this is a, it's a different lineup with different opportunities to exploit pitching matchups. And if you're adding lefties, which clearly was a, a goal and something we wanted, how do you use them? How do you optimize the lineup? How do you optimize where the players feel comfortable playing? How do did, you, you, did you get enough impact from the left side of the plate too? Because yes, you're right, concerted effort, but did they get enough to make it like all make sense? I think just doing that exercise, that's the one thing I got out of it. And um, our other guy, Ben Wagner down there, he's quote tweeting and talking about, well, Shy has a great article. We'll start with Shy. All of our Blue Jays guys right now are pumping out good stuff because this is the main storyline over the next little while with the great few league starting and how they're going to line stuff up. Early read on thing was Springer, Vlad, a left-handed hitter, and Bo. Mm. As, as we said, it's like literally day one. So there'll be some shuffling. And that's exciting because... This is a luxury and I think, that the Blue Jays have. I don't know. I, I think the question is, are you making concessions by putting a left-handed batter in the three-hole when it's not, like, obvious who that person should be? Well, that's why you do spring training forever. Yeah, that'll be the next month of conversation, I suppose. All right. Um, let's keep going here. we got a couple more. Um, Anthony Edwards this weekend was at his first NBA All-Star game on Sunday, was speaking to reporters, and was asked if there's one thing he'd change about the NBA. Then this was his response. If there's anything I could change about the league to make it better, probably just all the guys sitting resting. That's the only thing I probably don't like. Um, just play, man. If you, if you, if you, if you, eighty percent, you got to play. I, I don't, I don't like all the sitting, missing games and stuff. Like these people, these people might have enough money to come to one game. You know what I'm saying? And it, that might be the game they come to, and then you sitting out. You know what I'm saying? So I take pride in trying to play every game because I don't know. It might be one fan that has never seen me play, and I'm trying to play. So I don't. that's the only thing I don't like. Uh, guys just sitting out. Couldn't agree more. I, I do love the perspective. I will say, though, like I don't really care about load management that much. Like do I need to see – do I need to see – Do does LeBron have to play in all 82 games for me to be satisfied as a fan? No. If he didn't play the game in Toronto, which has been an issue before, and I'm going, yeah, I'm a little annoyed. But and that happened t- three times this year, I believe, where Steph didn't play, LeBron didn't play, it's, and it's was annoying. it Giannis or somebody else didn't play one it other game? It is very, very annoying. It would be really, really disappointed if you bought tickets to watch that player in, in particular. It would be infuriating. But I guess as someone who consumes the sport mostly from the couch someone who cares more about the postseason than mm-hmm. the regular season. I think if load management helps amplify and um, bolster the postseason, makes the NBA playoffs better if they are allowed to load manage, then I'm okay with it because that's really all I care about is the postseason being played at a high level. Players that are superstars being available for postseason games, that's really all I care about. If LeBron's playing in Memphis on a... Tuesday in November, I could not care less. However, someone does care, and for that reason, it is an issue. But my main thing is, can we make the postseason as best as it can be? Then let's take the Mm. steps to do that. So a little bit of... And it might be an excuse, right? It might be like, is it really, do we have the science that if if he plays this much, he's going to be affected later on in the season? Or is that just like, let's lighten the load on these guys because we can 
And if it's just because we can, it's annoying. But if it actually has a benefit... I think it's because we can and because it's it's become acceptable within the players in the league. Yeah. You can just say, I I have a phantom left knee soreness today. And until it hurts them financially, why wouldn't everyone be on board with it? That's right. But again, if scientifically you can prove to me the playoffs will be better, these players will be better because they played less over the course of the season, then that's all the justification I need. All right, let's take a break because we have a guy that never takes any rest days, Brent Gunning, co-host of Least Nation. And now the golf show is back. We're going to run through some of that full swing stuff we talked about in this top of the show. And obviously what it was like when he found out about the Ryan O'Reilly trade late on Friday night. That's next on the Fan Morning Show.